0: This episode brought to you by Cafe Imports, Minneapolis-based importers of fine specialty green coffees, independently owned and operated since 1993. Cafe Imports has been dedicated to decreasing its impact on the earth through renewable energy, carbon neutrality, and by supporting conservational efforts in places where quality coffee is grown and also where quality coffee is consumed. Where does your coffee come from?
1: And by the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation. As a nonprofit, we rely on support from listeners like you. If you like what you hear, please consider a donation. To learn more and make a gift, visit us at www.gosuperior.org.
2: Welcome
0: to the Lake Superior Podcast. I'm Walt Lindela.
1: And I'm Frida Wara. We are made stronger by story. And there's no better source than the continent's largest body of fresh water, Lake Superior.
0: So join us as we highlight the five national parks that ring this greatest of the Great Lakes, meet the people, tour the places, and learn about the projects that make these parks and body of water so remarkable.
1: This podcast made possible with the support of the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation and Media Brew Communications. I'm Walt Nidala. And I'm Frida Wara.
0: Welcome once again to the Lake Superior podcast. You know, Frida, today, uh, this is going to be an interesting one for me, mainly because I'm actually fairly familiar with what we're talking about. These are the seaplanes that go to Isle Royal in Lake Superior. Myself, as someone that grew up in the Keweenaw Peninsula, you're familiar with the Ranger 3 getting there and other vessels, but the seaplanes are a whole other uh, thing, and this is going to be real interesting. Tell me about a little bit who we've got lined up.
1: Well... Let's just take a second to realize that while Isle Royale is the national park in Michigan, it is one of the most difficult to get there because Mm -hmm. you've either got to go by air or by water. You can't drive there and you could take your own boat, but you have better be a pretty good captain because where you're traveling is a pretty good distance out there. It's it's not uh, right next door. Um, I like to say when I'm at the top of Brockway Mountain, I might be able to see it sometimes, but that really doesn't happen. <laughs> it no. is when I've been in the plane with Tomas, who's with us today on the on the podcast, that I have had a chance when I lifted off at the canal. And pretty soon you get to see Isle Royale out there, the gem of Lake Superior. And Tomas Souls knows it better than anybody because the chief pilot, Pilot at the Isle Royal Seaplanes. Well, Tomas,
0: welcome to the podcast. Good to have you on today.
2: Thank you for having me. Frida. and
1: well
0: appreciate it. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about this. I mean, you are the chief pilot with Isle Royal Seaplanes. This is a seaplane that takes off that gets uh, visitors to Isle Royal National Park uh, from the Houghton area. And tell us a little bit about this. What you do and how you ended up here, and and, and what really kind of drove you or flew you to land uh, in this gig.
2: Well, uh, I started uh, with Isle Royal Seaplanes uh, at the very end of 2015. My first summer up here was actually in 2016. Mm-hmm. And I have been flying out to Isle Royal every summer since. We started with um, one aircraft, and we've grown this summer now. We have four aircraft and five pilots on staff, including myself. Well, I know you, Tomas,
1: you are not old enough. When I think back about 2015, and I think that might have been the year that I actually flew with you around about that time, how in the world did you land as a pilot so early on in your career?
2: Uh, my father is a pilot. Uh, my grandfather was a pilot in World War, world War II. Both of them flew seaplanes, and so... Uh, Flying a seaplane was something that I always knew was was something I wanted to do that I was gonna going to do. I didn't know necessarily that I was going to be doing it as a job professionally mm-hmm. until it was time to start thinking about <laughs> what I needed to do uh, professionally to support myself. So uh, around uh, around college or you know in high school, started to decide that I was going to pursue aviation as a profession and ended up going to college for that. And then it was after. Most of the colleges train you up for airline flying, and that was uh, what I intended to do. And it wasn't until after college that I uh, was able to seize an opportunity in Maine, which is where I grew up, uh, to to fly smaller aircraft in uh, in environments similar to like what we're uh, flying to. Uh, I was flying to islands off the coast of Maine. The company did have a seaplane, and I was exposed to that, uh, but it wasn't the primary focus of the company. So. Uh, the seaplane quickly caught my eye and definitely wanted to to continue that. And, and that's where I am here, uh, continuing that.
1: As a pilot, what is it about seaplanes?
2: Well, uh, I would say if there's a romantic side to it. And it has to do with uh, really the, the start of aviation. Aviation started with, with a seaplane. There weren't really established runways. And so seaplanes were were one of the primary methods that aviation was able to continue. Think of uh, the Pan Am or the early days of Pan Am as they were flying around the world in these very large seaplanes for transportation. Uh, But seaplanes really evolved in, in my opinion, up in Alaska. That's where they continued on after runways were built. But up in Alaska and Canada, they, they continued on where roads still weren't built in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and still to this day, uh, our seaplanes are still very relevant up there.
0: So I have to ask you this, then, when you talk about that, when we look at this region of what we're talking about, the Keweenaw Peninsula, the Upper Peninsula, that area, and then the Big Lake, and then Isle Royale, and its own geographical challenges, is that one of the things about doing it in this region that makes it interesting for
2: you? Yeah, anytime you can find a so somewhere where a seaplane is relevant it it is very interesting yeah. and it, it just if it, it feels right because you're being you're using something that was built you know forty, fifty, sixty, seventy years ago, and it's still relevant today. So there's a nostalgia, a romantic side to it, and it's really cool to to continue using it to this day, and everyone's really excited about it. I love
1: that. I love that that was where. You know, when you think about it, because there weren't any runways, but let's just talk for a second. I mean, Tomas, the runway you have, (laughs) Mm. Lord have mercy. Uh, I have a sticker on my kayak and it says Lake Superior's the boss. I cannot imagine. Okay. And I've taken off with you in the canal. So you're a little bit, you know, protected there, but landing on Lake Superior.
2: Oh, man. Yeah, we... We do not land on Lake Superior uh, as a policy. Uh, you, you never know what you can get. Even even looking at it from above, uh, mm-hmm. it, from, from the altitude that we fly at, you, you wouldn't necessarily even appreciate what the conditions were uh, from, from that height. So, yeah, I mean, there are certainly are, are many days where you could land out there and have a picnic, go water skiing or, or something. But uh, as, we, as we all know, there, there are many days where that's not the case.
0: What are some of the challenges then that you encounter by flying over that body of water?
2: I would say the fog is the is the main challenge. The fog, uh, because Lake Superior is such a a dramatically cold body of water. I mean, even even colder than some of the uh, some of the or most of the oceans out there. uh, It it develops fog. I I don't want to say all the time uh, because it doesn't, but it just it develops it. So much of the time, and, and it, it develops it in, in in very localized areas. Some, oftentimes, widespread. Uh, it, it's it's challenging to deal with. It's beautiful to look at. Uh, my favorite days are when we can fly to the island, um, and it doesn't affect us. But yet, we're still able to see it, and look at it, and enjoy it. Mm-hmm.
0: We're talking with Tomas Souls, who is chief pilot with Isle Royal Seaplanes, today here on the Lake Superior Podcast. Uh, tell us a little bit about the aircraft that you use. Tell us about it, describe it, and, and why this is the, uh, the the aircraft you do use.
2: Well, the aircraft we started with was a, is a Cessna two hundred and six model. Uh, we currently still use that aircraft. We also have expanded to using the De Havilland Beaver, the DHC two model aircraft. It was built in the fifties and it was Canadian built, and, and this aircraft is. I think the one that many people look at and see the nostalgia of, of seaplane flying because it has a very retro design uh, mm. from having been built in the fifties. There's lots of curves. There's lots of angles. Uh, but it, it's, I don't know if it's a beautiful aircraft, <laughs> but everyone <laughs> is really excited to, to look at it. And, uh, and I myself think it, it's a very good looking aircraft and it evokes a lot of emotion from that. The aircraft is, um, since it was built in the 50s and it's still flying today, it's a very relevant aircraft. Despite its age, it is uh, very reliable. The engine uh, design has been very reliable despite how old it is. So we can't say it's very efficient because of its age, but it is very um, reliable, which is great. And and the aircraft is impressive in what it's able to do. Uh, much like a lot of things, it can't do everything really well, but it does it takes uh, seven people uh, out of the water, which is a, a big job in itself and and takes them to a uh, a destination a short ways away and and that in itself is impressive it, it's one downside maybe that you could yeah, look at is that it, it's very slow it's uh, of all the aircraft out there it's, it's going to be one of the slowest so how long they're never really fast yeah
0: so how long would that flight be then for example with this aircraft you're talking about and then perhaps on average with some of the other aircrafts how long can someone in good conditions and everything being proper about how long do these flights take
2: so uh, 45 minutes is is the flight the uh, flight time for the de Havilland Beaver our Cessna 206 model might do it in like seven or eight minutes quicker than that uh, maybe 36, 37 minutes or so. Uh, That's the flight time, the the point at which you come off the water and and touch down. And um, there are are other aircraft that are going to fly faster, especially without floats, but they won't be able to land on the water um, Mm -hmm. until you start getting into bigger aircraft, with bigger engines. You're really not going to be able to get going a whole lot much faster.
1: Tomas, when you were saying you don't land on Lake Superior, I'd just like to clarify that for the folks, because you're landing basically in Tobin Harbor when you land at Rock Island.
2: That's correct. So Tobin Harbor is the the body of water of Tobin Harbor is technically Lake Superior. So yeah, I I may have misspoke there. Uh, We don't open, we don't land in the open water of Lake Superior. We're landing in very protected bodies of water. So even the Portage Canal is technically the same water as as Lake Superior. So we're, we are landing in it. It's just that um, it's, can, they're in very protected areas where even on the windiest days, the waves aren't out of control. So,
1: I have been on the shores of Tobin Harbor. I've kayaked through there before. That can be sometimes a moose crossing. Has that ever been anything to affect your landings there?
2: I've never had a moose that has prevented me from landing, but there's been a couple of times where as I've been landing, I've seen a moose crashing along the shoreline in the mm-hmm. water. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly seen them. Swimming uh, in Tobin Harbor and, and other various, uh, also at Windigo on the other side of the island. So, yeah, you know, you, when you think of it, I'm in the airplane all day. That, that's that's my office. That's where I spend the most time a day. So it doesn't happen often, but uh, the few times that I do see a moose, it usually is from my seat in the aircraft. And um, yeah, so it and and it's usually a, a pretty cool uh, view when, when I do get to see it. So.
1: And probably really fun for your passengers, too.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes it's it's one of those split-second things when you're moving. Uh, and, you know, you say, hey, did you see that? And everyone's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, the ones that do see it are, are definitely uh, going to enjoy that.
0: Let's talk a little bit about your passengers, the average yeah. people that you are taking out to Isle Royal. Can you kind of give us an idea of who... You're usually transporting, maybe what they're, maybe they're the ones that have chosen to go by seaplane and not by the Ranger or other ways of getting out there by water. Tell us a little bit about that. Maybe are there restrictions to keep in mind? Uh, t- tell us about who you fly out to the island and back.
2: Well, I would say we fly all sorts of people. Uh, we're flying folks who are going on vacation. That's for, you know, probably the primary thing. Uh, Backpacking is one of the, the primary uh, activities that people are going to be doing going to do out in Isle Royale, and we do load their backpacks. We do have a 45-pound maximum uh, weight limit for their backpack, but we can accommodate that, that large overnight backpacking size. Uh, there is also, uh, we also fly folks that are going out there just for the day. Uh-huh. Um, and those people typically have light luggage, so that's not hard to accommodate, and then there are also folks that are going to the lodge, and those folks will have usually different types of luggage, maybe carry-on suitcases, like conventional uh, for air, airline aircraft, um, and and maybe some uh, duffel bags or small day hiking backpacks uh, for when they go out hiking, um, but are going to stay at the lodge in the evening. So we have a, a broad mix of, of folks who are doing those different activities and and. And also, um, how they're how they're staying on the island, whether or not they've got their their tent with them, or if they're going to be staying in a nice uh, right. warm uh, lodge room. So,
1: if if folks are staying at the lodge, are they also limited to forty five pounds?
2: Yeah, we do have. It, yep it's a it's a forty five uh, pound maximum for each each passenger ticket mm-hmm. that is allotted. Yep.
1: That's going to be tough sometimes, I bet you, if people, you know, and does that ever get to be a difficult moment <laughs> on the dock when much. you're weighing yeah. them yeah. and yeah. you're weighing their luggage?
2: <laughs> yeah. So we do, we do our best to make sure that it's, it's published in as many different places. Mm-hmm. I mean, for one, you know, it's, it's on the website uh, as people are doing research of whether or not they want to uh, take a flight to Isle Royale. it's also part of the contract that they, ha- they have to accept, acknowledge right. that they've seen that information before they're even allowed to pay for it. Um, and then uh, also in, in additional information as they're receiving their confirmation letters uh, for, for, planning their, for planning their trip and keeping those records. But of course, you know, some people uh, flip through the cracks, and when they show up and, you know, our, our team is there, with the scales and, <laughs> and they are not aware of, of that. It, it can be a little bit, I think hectic. It also depends on the timeline. Did they show up late? You know, we ask people to show up about 45 minutes before their scheduled departure time. So, you know, did they, did, were they running late already? Were there, are they already a little hectic and frazzled? <laughs> yeah. but the the easiest part, you know, the first thing we always say is, okay, dump out, you know, dump out your water. You don't need to carry water to oil. Uh, you can, mm. first of all, um, you know, even if you decide to filter your own water out there, it's really um, you know excellent water right there where we land. But also, there's a water treatment plant at Rock Harbor or even Windigo, and you can just fill up at the tap. So it's not really a, a big inconvenience to be able to refill your water. And and, and water weighs eight pounds a gallon. And yeah, it's yeah. pretty heavy for its for its density. So that's yeah. a quick way. And then after that, um, then it you know it's the tough decisions of what are you going to, you know, what have you decided is not, no longer absolutely necessary for your, for your excursion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and sometimes that's, that's a tough decision. The the only other, you know, uh, leeway is, is potentially the flight is not full and the captain's able to decide, okay, yeah, you know, we're, we're missing, uh, you know, there's only a couple people on this flight. I can take some extra, uh, some extra weight and such, but But really, in a practical matter, we got to get people down down to the weight baggage limit size.
1: I love that story. And, you know, I'm thinking of myself right now because I'm a skier. And usually when we take a commercial airline and we're at that weight moment and, you know, my husband's saying, here, let me take one of your ski boots. Okay. And somebody's got to carry this or that. And when you're going to Isle Royale, I mean, I've been around before. And it's just hilarious that somebody who's backpacking says, I need to take that curling iron or I need to take that hair dryer. And you're like, let's just take a minute here because that's one of the things that we really try, especially even with this podcast, to educate people about you're going to Isle Royale. You might not need, especially if you're backpacking, all of this. Now, do you have your head net?
2: <laughs> right
1: that's really what i'm not going to let you take that you know leave that back you've got to take that with you but um certainly there's a lot of other things you don't have to carry
0: we're talking with tomas souls today here who is chief pilot with isle royal seaplanes now you mentioned your website could you give us that here uh while we have a quick moment because i think if there's people that are listening that are interested in finding out more it sounds like you do have a wealth of information there what is the website to find out more
2: yeah, our website's really easy. www.ailrolessiplanes. com. Okay. Uh, you can Google that and uh, and find all sorts of information. Once you've uh, once you've clicked on there, we've got frequently asked questions, reservation tab, and um, yeah, all, all, all sorts of information to to learn about the flight. Okay. How
1: early do I have to make my reservation, yeah. Tomas?
2: Well, that is a kind of a loaded question. Uh, I always encourage people to make their reservations as soon as they are able as they're able to uh and the reason why is because as the date gets closer and especially july and august and, and even into uh, early september it is very difficult to accommodate someone's specific timer re- both the date and time requests for both the departure and the arrival uh, excuse me not the arrival but the uh, both ends of the departure, so going mm-hmm. to Elro and then and then also the return flight. And what we find is that folks who are going to be a little less flexible are going to have a really difficult time. And But but the truth is that if you are flexible, you you can uh, book a little less la- – uh, you can book more last minute. Mm-hmm. But with oh, yeah. that said, I mean, when I say flexibility, I mean, it could be – there might only be one, you know, you might only be able to accommodate one night uh, as opposed to the three or four that you wanted to go out there for. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, unfortunately, it ends up, um, I, I would I would say, I would always say book as, as soon as you can. Um, we do allow uh, bookings uh, over a year in advance. So you oh, can, okay. Um, yeah. So you can start planning your trip for next year. And, and we do. We have lots of people who do
0: that, um, and uh, yeah. We're talking with Tomas Souls today, chief pilot with the Isle Royal Seaplanes uh, here on our podcast. Uh, Tomas, tell us a little bit about the passenger when they're getting ready to go out there and they're perhaps going for their first time, and then let's talk about what they're like when they come back. Tell us about that. You must have some stories.
2: Well, lots of folks are a little uneasy about Climbing into an aircraft so small. Uh, to give our listeners a perspective, uh, m- many of many of us have flown on small aircraft. But to give you an idea, this aircraft, uh, one of them has seating for four adults, and the other one has seating for seven adults. So uh, m- many of us have not been on an aircraft that small. It only has one engine. Um, it it's definitely a different level than than most of us have flown on uh, for commercial airline travel and because of that folks are uneasy about it and that's with you know great understanding it so i try to do i mean every every flight i always do my best and uh you know especially to try to make people you know at ease and what often happens is a lot of folks end up finding that they enjoyed it more than a regular commercial flight and i don't necessarily know why um but I do have a few insights and I believe probably the first one is that because we are traveling over a large body, a body of water, um, the air is usually very calm and, and there's a few reasons for that, but, but it, because the flight is usually very calm, uh, for 90% of the flight, I think people really enjoy that. And, uh, and that helps them stay at ease, uh, and, and and avoid any kind of motion sickness. So right off the bat, I think that's probably the biggest, but the other part might be that they're able to see what's going on. They can see the pilot. Um, mm, yep, yep. and, 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 and such. And so I, I think, I think that that might also be a factor, but I of course, uh, am the pilot. So I, you know, I can't, I can't relate to what it mm. must be like to be, um, passenger in the in
0: one of the seats behind me I I just have to think that it 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 adds to the sense of the adventure of the journey you're going on whether it's even just for a day but you're going out to Isle Royal and then as you mentioned also the vintage aircraft they're all Airworthy and seaworthy and everything, but there's something about that old design and that old feel that it really probably, I, I'm just comparing this because we've talked with folks with the Ranger 3 and that's about a six-ish hour, that's a, that's a ride on a vessel, a solid vessel, a good vessel, but you're not, you know, you're on the water and you're out there in the middle of the big lake, but this is a completely different thing, about 45 minutes-ish in the air in something like this and then suddenly you see the island and there it is. There's got to be some sort of like just real adventure to it, wouldn't you say?
2: Oh, absolutely. That's I think one of the biggest reasons people like to fly with us mm-hmm. uh, outside of maybe a time savings. But you know, you go on the Rangers' tree and you fully appreciate how how far away, how remote Isle mm-hmm. Royal is, right? Mm-hmm. And and even though the seaplane speeds that up the fact that you're taking a seaplane to get to this destination uh, really adds to that and, and also also evokes that same emotion of, of just how how remote this destination is because seaplanes are synonymous with remote locations. I
1: love that. And you know, Tomas, I'm getting goose pimples even just thinking because <laughs> all the dozens of times that I've been to Isle Royale, I've only flown there once and it was with you. And you greeted me in a different way about just teaching me about Isle Royale. And even though I had been to Windigo, I understood where the American was. I knew where the Rock of Ages lighthouse was. To have you kind of guide me there and explain, because we had to make that, um, you know, the whole length of Isle Royale from, from Rock of Ages all the way up to Rock Harbor, that passage along that amazing archipelago. It it really was wonderful to have you. I mean, you're, you, you should be a ranger. <laughs> you're the air ranger for Isle Royale and really helping to understand the perspective of, as you said, such a remote place. And kayaking it, circumnavigating it by kayak was also a very important piece of learning about that park. But I would suggest if someone has the opportunity to fly to it is just... You will never forget it.
2: Yeah, you know, you you definitely want to be hands, and, you know, and and feet on the ground, mm-hmm. exploring exploring the island and and experiencing it firsthand. But you're right. I mean, having that bird's eye view gives you another perspective to be able to appreciate, but also relate everything that you've been doing down on the ground. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a great way to to enjoy the island as well.
0: Talking with Tomas Souls today, who is chief pilot with Isle Royal seaplanes on getting out to Isle Royal national park on Lake superior. Uh, how many flights do you guys, if they, if it's a good day, uh, average day, how many flights, how many runs do you make?
2: Uh, we'll do about uh, 10 round trips to the Island. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we're, we have a capacity limit of uh, in the high forties, I believe mm-hmm. uh, for a, for a daily capacity and, so that ends up being about 10 round trips between all of our, um, our aircraft. We usually run about three aircraft a day. Oh, okay. All
1: and, right. Tomas, how about from Grand Marais or from Grand Portage? Are there any flights from that direction
2: in Minnesota? We do. Yep. Uh, our Cessna 206 model is equipped with amphibious floats. And so we'll land at the Grand Marais airport in Minnesota, uh, which is located about maybe 10 minutes outside of uh, downtown Grand Marais. Up, uh, up on the ridgeline, and uh, and we'll fly both to Wendigo and Rock Harbor from Grand Marais. We do two flights a day out of there.
1: I hate to bring it up, but how often do you have to cancel flights?
2: Well, uh, I don't have a, like an actual statistical number, but <laughs> we do get affected by the fog. That's our that's our biggest deal. So you know, the lake's cold, and uh, and sometimes. Uh, you know, the, the fog comes in and we've got to wait for it. And it can be difficult because the fog, while it can sometimes be generally forecasted, it's, it's really hard to give, like, very localized uh, mm-hmm. fog forecasts. And really, that's that's all that matters because um, we need it to be, you know, you gotta, you, the you fog gotta, is going
0: to be. Yeah, you got to be safe. I mean, you know, it's like if the weather well, moves course, in, yeah. you know, it's like we've talked with so many people about Lake Superior and everything that, the weather on Lake Superior is the ultimate dictator of what's going to be happening. So, if you think you're going to go out and you think you're going on a kayak run, or you think you're going on the ranger, or you think you're going around wherever, if the weather comes in, that's going to win, and you don't try to beat that because lake will
2: win. Yeah, it's true. No, no matter what you just, dis- no matter what you decide for your transportation, there is always going to be an element of the weather being able to dictate it. Let alone any kind of mechanical issues, but. Um, yeah, I mean, now I would be amiss if I said that, you know, that that the fog didn't affect us more often, but with that said, what I will say is there are very few, maybe only two or three days, a whole summer where we actually don't fly at all during the whole day because of the bad weather. So typically what happens is you get fog in the morning and it takes a few hours to burn off Mm -hmm. and we have enough aircraft to be able to, uh, to catch up from what was missed and delayed in the morning, so that people are where they want to be uh, at least by the afternoon and into the evening, early evening. So,
1: Tomas, who is your weather station, or you know, who was your your weather monitor on the island? Is it? Do you have somebody up at the Mount Ojibwe Tower, or wh- where do you have your other side? You know, who's telling you what's happening in a Rock Island at Rock Harbor
2: on the island? So, we do not have any um there's there's really there is no official weather reporting on the island um, however with that said there are a series of webcams that are on the island at various uh, locations mm-hmm. and uh, our listeners can look at them uh, if they'd like they're they're actually on the national park services website you can google them and they're excellent webcams and it so they're fun to look at, even if you're not a pilot. And um, we look at them all the time uh, because we have no desire to fly out to an mm-hmm. island or you know fly all 45 minutes all the way out there just to have to come all the way right. back if if we know that there's you know if if the webcam is showing fog and all, and you can't even see the trees in front of the camera mm-hmm. there's there's no reason to go out there right and and so we'll wait and and those cameras are. Um, really excellent uh, for for our for our um, decision-making. Mm-hmm.
0: So what do you do when uh, the tourist season starts to draw to a close? What is it something, what do you do in terms of maybe for the, your season coming to a close? What do you do in that time, that transition period?
2: I, bl- I forget what our last day of the season is. It might be the 16th of September or 17th, um, but that will be our, our uh, uh, typical last day. Sometimes it goes into the 20s. September 20th uh, ish, where uh, we come to a close on Isle Royal and we wrap things up there and we start focusing on, on actually uh, getting things closed up in, in Houghton. However, last year we started the Color Tours, which is a, a local uh, event in Houghton and uh, the Keweenaw. So it does not involve Isle Royal, where we fly a 30 minute flights, um, through, uh, about the 15th of October so that people can enjoy the fall color changes hmm. throughout oh, the queue. I love ones. that.
0: Yeah, that's a great oh, idea. Oh,
2: man.
1: Yeah. We think Brockway Mountain is going to take your breath away. I can imagine this tour.
2: Wow. Yeah. So people really enjoyed it last year. So we've, uh, we're, we're all excited about getting, getting to do that again. Um, and so, yeah, we, we plan to, to, to host that again for, for this fall.
0: Well, Tomas, it's really been a pleasure chatting with you here on the podcast today. Um, as we wrap up, I'm certainly uh, interested if you have any, any last thoughts for us. And please, if you would be so kind as to give us your website information again so people can find out maybe about planning to take one of these excursions, maybe even a color tour if they're uh, in the area there. Uh, can you give us maybe a few more thoughts and then how can they find out more?
2: yeah, you know, I think that folks would uh, really enjoy a flight to Isle Royal and, uh, and even if they are potentially a little uneasy about flying, I, I think that uh, but they still have a little bit of of interest if it piques their interest, then they should uh, they should consider giving it a try. With that said, our website is www.isle dot com. Uh, our color tours, I'm not sure if we have information about that on our website just yet, but it will be uh, as the fall season gets closer.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for the work you do. And again, I, I really think you're the Isle Royal Ranger for the air, <laughs> getting folks over there safely and sharing with them just how special that amazing park in our big blue really is.
0: Yeah, Thank you, Tomas, today. It's been a pleasure having you on.
2: Frida, well, thank you again. Appreciate
1: it. Take care, guys.
0: Hey, it's Tomas Souls, who is chief pilot with Isle Royal Seaplanes. And, uh, you know, it's interesting for me, Frida, as someone that grew up in the copper country, grew up outside of Houghton in Chassel, where this is all based out of the operations are out of Houghton. Uh, the Keweenaw Waterway and the Lift Bridge and the Ranger and Seaplanes and Isle royal That's all been part of it uh, in terms of the culture growing up there. But this was insight I never even had even growing up up there and being a part of that area.
1: Well, I love how Tomas shared with us that seaplanes were really the beginning because we didn't have runways. Mm-hmm. And I think when you land on water, particularly there at Tobin Harbor, when I landed at the canal, it didn't seem to be the same, but like at Tobin Harbor. And as soon as you just kind of, you know, fall into where you are at and, Mm -hmm. you know, the moose are there, they come down right there at the Harbor and (laughs) thank goodness they weren't swimming. And and as
0: we were talking with Tomas, I feel like it does add to the adventure quality of it. Not that the ranger doesn't give you that. Because that is a magnificent vessel to go out on the big lake. And if you want to have that opportunity to just go out on the deck and look out and see nothing but the big lake, the Ranger 3 is exceptionally good for that to get to Isle Royale. But to get into one of these airplanes, especially I'm really interested in the vintage aircraft from the 50s, that still runs and and they wouldn't be using it if it wasn't safe. But it's just really interesting just to have that, that, that thing of, yeah, maybe it's 45 minutes in the air, but. There's nothing like that. That's got to be the smell of the aircraft, the sound of the the engine, the water, and then breaking free of the water. And then you're up in the air and then you're up there just about long enough to get used to it. And then you start the approach and you land and you've done it. I've never done it. So it must really be something.
1: You got to do it. Well, you got to do it. We got it. We got it. <laughs> we we got to go. go. We just got to go. All like right. <laughs> well,
0: we can do that. You know, well, we hope
1: we've encouraged you to make a trip to Isle Royal, And yeah. as Tomas said, you know, You've got to book those reservations in advance. It's a tight schedule, but the color tours could be fantastic.
0: Yeah, if you're visiting in that region, you know, and certainly look into it, any of that, uh, the Keweenaw National Historical Park, Isle Royale, any of that, anything from Pictured Rocks on over uh, to that part of Lake Superior, it is certainly worth checking out. And you can find out more through the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation website and other sources, including the National Park Service. But that's going to do it for us this time around on the podcast. I'm Walt Lindela. I'm Freda Wara.
1: Thanks for listening. The National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation. NPLSF is the only official nonprofit 501 C3 fundraising partner of the National Park Service for all five U.S. National park sites on Lake Superior.
0: To learn more about NPLSF projects and programs, you can visit the website at nplsf.org or friend them on Facebook. I'm Frida Wara and I'm Walt Lindela. Thanks for listening to the Lake Superior Podcast.
1: This podcast made possible with the support of the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation and Media Brew Communications.
0: This episode brought to you by Cafe Imports, Minneapolis-based importers of fine specialty green coffees, independently owned and operated since 1993. Cafe Imports has been dedicated to decreasing its impact on the earth through renewable energy, carbon neutrality, and by supporting conservational efforts in places where quality coffee is grown and also where quality coffee is consumed.
1: Where does your coffee come from? And by the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation. As a nonprofit, we rely on support from listeners like you. If you like what you hear, please consider a donation. To learn more and make a gift, visit us at www.gosuperior.org.